In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. In the center of St. Peter's Square in Rome stands an imposing obelisk of Egyptian granite. Before it was moved to its current location, it stood in the center of the Emperor Nero's circus. It would have been one of the last things our first Pope, St. Peter, saw when he was crucified. But before it was moved to that circus, the ancient historians Herodotus and Pliny the Elder tell us that it was originally erected in Egypt at the temple in Heliopolis as an act of thanksgiving for the then-current pharaoh 2,000 years before the birth of our Lord. Heliopolis is that same city to which the Holy Family fled immediately after the birth of Christ. Anticipating the wrath of King Herod, an angel appeared to Joseph and directed him to take the child and his mother to Egypt. They went to Egypt not because it was easy or a convenient place for refuge, but precisely because it was difficult and far from the reach of bloodthirsty Herod. 400 miles of distance and at least 30 days of travel, our poor virgin mother, already tormented in heart by the prophecy of Simeon, traversed this distance in the rain, wind, and storms of winter. Even arrival in Heliopolis would be little reprieve. With no family, money, or revenues, they were as helpless in the city as they were in the wilderness. The eternal word had become flesh and subjected himself to human needs, but now his young and guiltless mother had not even a morsel of bread to give him. Furthermore, our tradition relates that Mary had been presented to the temple in Jerusalem as an infant, consecrated and educated there. Now she was far from the promised land, far from the holy temple in Jerusalem, in a land of slavery and demonic temples of the Egyptian death cult. To look upon that obelisk at the temple in Heliopolis could only have reminded the Holy Family of how far they were from home. Mary's royal ancestor, King David, similarly once yearned for the temple. David's own son, Absalom, rebelled against him and put his father to flight. It was an utterly perverse act. A son totally alienated from his father, an ingrate seeking the life of the anointed one of God, a whole kingdom that refused the rule of its king. When David was in flight, all that seemed right to him was inverted. On this flight, he was believed to have written Psalm 42, the psalm that the priest prays before he ascends the altar at Holy Mass. It's the psalm of a man in distress who longs for the altar of the Lord because it is only there that true justice is found. The psalmist prays, Why do I go sorrowful while the enemy afflicts me? Send forth thy light and thy truth. These have conducted me and brought me unto thy holy mountain and into thy tabernacles. And I will go to the altar of the Lord, to the Lord who gives joy to my youth. It's not a prayer of desperation of a man in dire straits who promises, if you free me, then I will go to your altar but it's the supplication of one who has been subjected to the injustices of the world, who prays, Lord, free me from these troubles so that I might return to your altar. We pray this before Mass because we too recognize that we live in a world of inversions and injustices, but that God's perfect justice is accomplished on the altar. When the refugee party of King David passed by the Mount of Olives, 
Shimei, son of Gera, threw stones at David and blasphemed him. Shimei was a son of Saul, who resented David for inheriting the kingdom. The Egyptians, likewise, resented the Jews. We can imagine the harsh words of the Egyptians thrown like stones upon the Holy Family in exile. The great difference, of course, is that David was being legitimately punished, but our Blessed Mother deserved none of the harshness that she endured. All the more, then, would she have yearned for the justice of God over the injustice of men. All the more perfectly, then, would she have recognized the perversity of it all, that the infant Christ, born to save men, would have to flee from men, that he who came to establish a heavenly kingdom would have to flee from Herod, who sought to defend his earthly kingdom. St. Thomas Aquinas hands down a tradition that Herod pursued the Magi as far as Tarsus in modern-day Turkey. So desperate was his desire to know the whereabouts of the newborn king. After Herod failed to capture the Magi, he became exceedingly angry and ordered the murder of all the male children around Bethlehem. Here, who can fail to see the similarity to the order of Pharaoh in the time of Moses when he ordered the death of the Israelite babies? As Moses would lead the people out of slavery to sin or out of slavery in Egypt, so would Christ lead the world out of slavery to sin. We can imagine that Mary, a lover of the law, and righteous Joseph certainly would have recognized the way that their journey was prefigured by their ancestors, as St. Matthew recognized it in his Gospel account when he, narrating this event, quotes from Hosea, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Their return, like the journey of the Israelites in the Exodus, could not have been easy. The Holy Family lived seven years in Heliopolis when an angel appeared to St. Joseph again in a dream and informed him of the death of Herod. At seven years of age, Jesus would have been too large for Mary to carry, as before, yet too small to walk without assistance. In the face of such difficulty, after such a long time in exile, how many of us would say, I've put down some roots here in Egypt, who knows if I can even make it to Israel or what I will find when I stay there, maybe I should just remain here. That's what the Israelites in their exodus longed for. Many of them longed for the material stability they had experienced in Egypt. But the Holy Family's yearnings were not so base. Mary yearned not for the life to which she had been habituated in Egypt, but for the promised land, to live again among God's chosen people, and we can imagine especially for the altar of the Lord. Here I can draw one more comparison between the flight of David and the flight of Mary into Egypt. When David was in flight, the high priest Zadok wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant with him in the refugee party, but David said no. He told Zadok, take the Ark back to the city. If the Lord is pleased with me, someday he will let me come back to see it and the place where it dwells. When Our Lady fled with her family into Egypt, there was no such discussion, for Mary is the Ark of the New Covenant. Whereas David longed to return to the temple so that he might see the Ark of the Old Covenant, the Ark of the New Covenant longed to return so that she might set her son, who is the New Covenant himself, back in his land, that he might fulfill the purpose for which he was sent. The obelisk that Mary left behind in Heliopolis now stands 
conquered by the cross before St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, the cross that now crowns it is a symbol of this new covenant, triumphant even over death. In chapter 13 of the letter to the Hebrews, we read that the cross is an altar so great that those who would still serve the old altar have no right to eat of what comes from it. What can we learn from Mary's flight into Egypt and the victory of the cross that ultimately followed it? We can learn to imitate Mary's love for the justice of God, and we can hold her example in our hearts when we, like refugees, gaze upon the altar of the new covenant. We can learn from the sight of Jesus and Mary, wandering as fugitives in this world, that we also should live as pilgrims on the earth, detached from the goods which the world offers us, as having to soon leave them and go to eternity. And in a most immediate way, contemplating the sufferings the Mother of Christ undertook as she cooperated with God's salvific plan, we can learn to love Mary more dearly as our own mother. May God give us the grace to love our Blessed Mother all the more for these sorrows which she bore, and in doing so, to love her Son. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.